think if you have a bulletin, if you were given a bulletin when you walked in, we're, we're using the Jesus Storybook Bible by Sally Lloyd-Jones. And I have some helpers today, some young people that are going to come up here and help me read the passage. So if that's you, guys, come on up here. If I contacted you and you're going to help me read some scripture today. All right. I see one. I see two. I see three. I see four. And there's one more. Five. All right. Very good. Dagan. You're up first, and the, the title of the message today, we'll pray in just a minute after they read, the title of the message is The Terrible Lie, and if you have uh, a Bible you need to turn on or flip open, we don't have our PowerPoint today, but it's from Genesis 3, and this is just a translation and adaptation for young minds, so uh, each child's going to read a page, and then we're going to teach on it, okay? Dagan, do you want to hold the mic and read, or you want me to hold it for you? All right, here we go. Adam and Eve lived happily together in their beautiful new home, and everything was perfect for a while, until the day when everything went wrong. God had a horrible enemy. His name was Satan. Satan had once been the most beautiful angel, but he didn't want to just be an angel. He wanted to be God. He grew proud and evil and full of hate, and God had to send him out of heaven. Satan was seething with anger and looking for a way to hurt God. He wanted to stop God's plan, stop this love story right there. So he disguised himself as a snake and went into the garden. Now Adam and Eve only, no, now God has given Adam and Eve only one rule. Don't eat the fruit on the tree, God told them, because if you do, you'll think you know everything. You'll stop trusting me, and then death and sadness and tears will come. Very good, thank you. Dylan, you're up. You want me to hold the microphone for you? Can you see it? Yeah. All right. You can see it up there? You want me to hold it down here? Here you go. You see, God knew if they ate the fruit, they would think they didn't need him, and they would try to make themselves happy without him. But God knew there was no such thing as happiness without him, and life without him wouldn't be life at all. As soon as the snake saw his chance, he slithered silently up to Eve. Does God really love you? The serpent whispered. If he does, why wouldn't he let you eat the Nice, juicy, delicious fruit. Poor you. Perhaps God doesn't want you to be happy. The snake's words hissed into her ear. The and sunk down. And 
sunk down deep into her heart the poison. Does God love me? Eve wondered. Suddenly, she didn't know anymore. Just trust me, the servant whispered. You don't need God. One small taste. That's all, and you'll be happier than you could ever dream. Even Eve picked the fruit and ate some, and Adam ate some too, and a terrible lie came into the world. It would never leave. It would live on in every Human. Human hurt whispered to every one of God's children, God doesn't love me. Very good. Can I? Thank you. All right. Sophia, you're up. Can you see it? And it wasn't a dream. It was a nightmare. A dove flew from Adam's hands. A deer darted into the thicket. It was as if they were frightened by something. A chill was in the air. Something strange was happening. They had always been naked, but now they felt naked. And something wrong. They didn't, they didn't want anyone to see them. So they hid later that evening as God was taking his walk. He called to them, children? Usually Adam and Eve loved to hear God's voice and would run to him. But this time they ran away from him and hid in the shadows. Where are you, God called. Hiding, said Adam. We're afraid of you. Did you eat the fruit I told you not to eat? God asked them. Adam said, Eve made me do it. What have you done, God asked. Eve said, the serpent made me do it. And terrible pain came into God's heart. His children hadn't just broke, broken the one rule. They had broken God's heart. And they had broken their wonderful relationship with him. And now he knew everything else would break. God's creation would start to unravel and come undone, go wrong and go wrong. From now on, everything would die, even though it was all supposed to last forever. Very good. Can I borrow your book? All right, we'll give it back, okay? All right. You see, sin had come into God's perfect world, and it would never leave. God's children would always be running away from him and hiding in the dark. Their hearts would break now and never work properly again. God couldn't let his children live forever, not in such pain, not without him. There is only one way to protect them. You will have to leave this garden now, God told his children, his eyes filling with tears. This is no longer your true home. It's not the place for you anymore. But before they left the garden, God made clothes for his children to cover them. He gently clothed them, and then he sent them away on a long, long journey, out of the garden, out of their home. Well, in another story, it would be all over, and that would have been the end. But not in this story. God loved his children too much to let the story in there. Even though he knew he would suffer, God had a plan, a magnificent dream. One day he would get his children back. One day he would make the world the perfect home again. 
and one day he would wipe away every tear from their eyes. You see, no matter what is in spite of everything, God would love his children with a never stopping, never giving up, never, I mean, I'm breaking always and forever love. And though he would forget him and run from him, deep in their hearts, God's children would miss him always and long for him. Lost children yearning for their home. But they left the garden. God whispered a promise to Adam and Eve. I will not always be so. I will come to rescue you. And I, when I do, I'm going to battle against the snake. I'll get rid of the sin and the dark and the sadness and you let in here. I'm coming back for you and he would one day. God himself would come. Thank you, children. Um, if you have a Bible, we're going to be back in Genesis 3. And the title of this is The Terrible Lie. And again, if you haven't been here before, we have some clipboards for kids to take notes. And there's some, some toys and activities back there for them if they get a little bit restless. But it's fine. This is family, so I don't want anybody to feel the pressure of keeping everybody controlled. And we're just going to take a dip in the scriptures for a little bit, and then we'll dismiss. And we're going to introduce some new members, and then we're going to enjoy lunch together. So, question for everybody. Have you ever been told a lie and believed it? <laughs> Maybe you've told a lie yourself to others. Uh, I was looking at a website that talked about lies that children are told, sometimes by their own parents, and how they grow up believing that lie. Maybe you've heard a few of these. Here, here's one of them. Uh, if you cross your eyes, <laughs> right? Your face will get stuck that way forever. <laughs> Or how about this one? If you swallow your gum, it will, it will stay in your stomach forever. Here's another one. If you touch a frog, I was really terrified of that. Still am, to be honest. I've always got that lie in the back of my mind. If you touch a frog, you'll get warts. Um, if you swallow a watermelon seed, one will grow inside of you. Now look, a lie is a lie. And one lie is damaging enough to send a person for all eternity uh, out of the presence of God, right? But some of these lies seem really harmless, right? And a little bit playful. Um, but what about some other lies? What about these? You are absolutely on your own in this life. Nobody knows what you're going through. Nobody cares. And if they did, there's nothing they could do about it anyway. You know, a lot of people believe that lie their entire life. Or maybe this one. There's nobody you can really trust. You are absolutely on your own, but you're awesome and you're enough. Those are real subtle lies, real crafty lies. This terrible lie that Genesis talks about is really, really subtle. But before we talk about that, I really want us to, to look at what was going on before the lie. So three really quick points. Number one, um, life is good in the garden, right? It's amazing. God created out of nothing. 
this beautiful planet that we enjoy, and the galaxy, and the solar system, and the universe, and it says it was formless, and it was void, and God filled it and formed it. He gave it a purpose, and he brought order. He brought light and day and seasons and light and darkness and the moon and the stars and the sun, and he brought order and purpose and meaning and organization out of chaos. God did that, and life was good. He created animals that teemed and swirled and under the air, above the air, and then he created the crown jewel of his creation. He created human beings. And over and over and over again, God pronounces this declaration, and behold, it was good. It was good. It was good. When he created humans, he said it's what? Very good. And it was very good. If you think about it this way, there was harmony, there was peace, there was beauty, there was order, there was meaning and purpose. Man related and woman related to themselves. They related to God. They related to each other. They related to the animals. There was no violence. There was no corruption. There was no sadness. And I really, I really do want to help children understand how important this chapter is. Because listen, guys, if you look around in the world today, who could deny something's terribly wrong? <laughs> what happened to this very good creation that God made and, and spoke goodness over? What happened to it? I mean, when I go to bed at night, I don't know about you, I lock my doors. And I turn my alarm on. And I lock my car doors. Why? Why is that? Why do we need policemen? Why do we have prisons? Why do we need hospitals? Why are we scared of the dark, kids, sometimes? Why is that? Because something is terribly wrong and terribly broken in the world. We see it amongst us, we see it around us, and we even see it inside of us. Guilt, apprehension, anxiety, sadness. So often kids now feel like they don't measure up. Some kids get bullied. Some kids hate to wake up in the morning and go face the world. Why is that? See, life was not like that in the garden before chapter 3. One theologian said, the problem with people in the world is they don't ponder deeply enough Genesis chapter 3, what really happened. This is the chapter that, I mean, you can't really understand the world you live in without understanding deeply and profoundly this chapter. What was it that happened? I mean, creation was very good, and it lasted that way for all of two chapters. If you're like me, I'm curious, how long did it last? You ever wonder that? How long did Adam and Eve live in harmony in the garden with God, with each other, when everything was very good? How long did that last? Well, here's a little hint, okay? What's one of the commandments that God gave Adam and Eve? Be fruitful and multiply. Subdue the earth and fill it. So he told them, you bear my image. You're showing the whole creation, animals included, and each other what I'm like. So I want you to build kingdoms. You're like a king and queen, and I want you to, to make culture, speak words, make art, paint, write music, subdue the earth, mine it out, all the treasures, create cool things. And then he said, I want you to multiply, recreate, make people. And there was no infertility before chapter 3 in the Bible, right? So if God gave them a commandment and there was no disobedience, and yet there's no children when chapter 3, the fall happens, I don't think, this is Tommyology here, okay? I didn't write a PhD on this or anything. This is, this is my opinion. I don't think creation was perfect for very long. I don't think it took long at all for the serpent to slither into the garden and for Eve and Adam to be deceived and to plunge the world into a lie and into darkness. I don't know if your Bible's like mine. There's little headings, uninspired headings that the translators add 
to just sum up what this section's about. What does your, what's the heading in your Bible say for chapter 3? Two words, what? The fall. And I think that's a really good summary because you know what? When, when we enter chapter 3, we're up here, right? Adam, Eve, God, the animals, the planet, order, purpose, design, joy, happiness, fulfillment, exhilaration. And then the fall happens. It's more like an absolute collapse. It's a collapse that happened. And this chapter tells us why. What happened? Well, what happened is what that children's story was titled, The Terrible Lie. The Terrible Lie. And I love the way the Bible is, is, is presented to us because it's presented as a story, right? And in, story, in good stories, there's a plot, there's tension, there's irony, there's also heroes and protagonists, and then there's also what? A villain. There's an antagonist. Remember, like, history and, and uh, writing and, like, third, fourth grade, you had to learn those words, antagonist, protagonist. And so this is a story, and guess what? We, we meet our villain in chapter 3, and we get words that we've never read before. Now, the serpent was more cunning and crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had created. Crafty. We've never encountered that word in this very good creation. What's that mean? He's very sly. He's very cunning. And we actually find out later in Revelation 12 that this serpent uh, not the animal, but the personality behind the animal, hiding in the animal, is actually the devil. Satan, the, the opposer, the accuser. He's opposing God. He hates God. He's an angel that wanted to be like God, and so he fell and was cast out of heaven, and he crawled into the garden. And because this, this devil, this serpent, opposes God, he opposes everything that reminds him of God, including people. He wants to pull all of creation back into chaos, back into this formless void that has no meaning, has no purpose. He wants to slander and deceive and oppose, and that's what he does. And he brings this terrible lie, and that's what we find. That's what we find in the second point here. First is the good life, chapters 1 and 2. And then chapter 3 says this, this snake was cunning and crafty and very subtle, and he whispered a lie to Eve. You remember, what he, you remember what it was he said? The very first thing he said. And this is how I want you guys to listen and hear me on this, especially you kids, children. Because Adam and Eve were given one commandment, just one commandment, one prohibition, you could say, one thing to not do. Do not, God said, eat from the fruit on this tree. For in the day that you eat of it, you will what? You will surely die. You will die. All this very good creation will be plunged into darkness and chaos. And so what's the first thing that this serpent said to Eve? He said, has God really said you can't eat from this tree? Did God actually, in Hebrew it's, did God actually say that? That's the first deconstructionist in the Bible, right? In the world really is Satan. He's questioning God. He's casting doubt and suspicion on God's very good words and his very good creation. That's all it took. You know, I have a theory. I don't think that, that Eve was standing in front of this tree looking at it, uh, thinking about, man, I wish I could have that. I think she was probably doing what Adam and Eve did every day. They were subduing creation. They were building and creating culture, and they were building a kingdom in God's name. And I think Satan went and found Eve and said, hey, let's go to the tree. I want you to look at it. Did God really say you can't have that? That was the terrible lie. 
And that instant, that, that serpent, Satan, planted doubt in Eve's mind about the goodness of God. And guys, listen, you and I, children and adults, we stand before that tree every single day and make a choice. And here's the choice. Will you live your life on God's terms or on your own? Because God had already said everything's very good. The way I've created things is very good. You have everything you need to thrive and flourish and be happy and have meaning and be fulfilled. But then the serpent said, you know, if you had that fruit, if you only had that fruit, then you'd be happy. Then you'd be like a god. That's literally what it says. God knows that then the day you eat of it, you'll be divine. You'll be like him. And see, God's so insecure, he can't handle the fact that you might be like him. So God's holding out on you. God is holding out on you. God must really not want you to be happy. Is that true? We believe that lie every day. Every single day we stand before that tree. Will we respond to this temptation with wisdom or with folly? Because here's what Satan said. He said, the day that you uh, eat that tree, eat that fruit, you'll be like God. But here's the lie, guys. They already were like God. Remember? He said, the day you eat that fruit, you'll be a king and you'll be a queen. They already were. They were rulers. God put them as vice regents on the earth to represent him. That's what kings actually did back then. They would put little statues of them in every corner of their kingdom to remind people, this is what the king looks like and he's in charge here. That's what people were created for. Adam and Eve were a little image of God. They were image bearers. And Satan said, if you really, really want to be happy and really want to be a king, you'll eat that fruit and you'll be like God. But they already were. They already were kings and queens. And Satan said, you'll know, the day you eat of it, you'll know good, excuse me, you'll know good and evil. What he didn't tell them is the day you eat of it, you'll become evil. And that's what happened. And they believed the lie. Hook line and sinker and we continue to face the ramifications and the consequences of that every single day you and i do i mean essentially what he was saying was this is you really don't know about god you think that god loves you but god's holding out on you see god's all law and i'm all love if god really really and now listen to me guys because this is what the world will tell you if god really wanted you to be happy he would lift those boundaries and say you be you you be you, and you choose happiness on your terms. You define your own meaning. It's out there for you to discover. Just go discover whatever makes you happy and do it. And that's a lie. And I can literally say it's a lie straight from hell because it's straight from Satan's list. He, he still whispers that lie into our ears every single day. This was the first advertising. This was the first pitch, man. You know what advertising thrives on? Making you feel discontent. Oh, there's something you still don't have. You don't have this tree. If you had it, you'd be complete. Lie. Lie, lie. And we stand in front of that tree every single day and say, I know this. God is sovereign. God is wise. God is good. God is benevolent. And God has given me everything that I need to thrive. I don't need that. See, that's the lie we believe. Here's the lie. You ready? It goes like this. If I only had blank, then I would be happy and fulfilled. And what is it? Here's how it really gets subtle. That blank is not always a sin. It could be something like a spouse. If I just had a husband or a wife, then I'd be happy. Or if I just had a child, if I just had a family of my own, 
Or if I just had health, if I, had, if I could reach this body weight, or if I could get this many likes on my social media platform, I mean, what form does the lie take in your life? Guys, there's a million, there's a million different ways this lie materializes, and we buy it. Every single day we buy the lie. We believe it. We stand in front of the tree, and God says, this is wisdom and this is folly. And we say, you know what? Thanks for the advice, but you've given me a sound mind, and I think I'm competent enough, God, to say that I want to be happy, so I'm going to pursue this form of joy. You know, you see that in sexuality. You see it everywhere. Relationships, work, everything. If I made this much money, then I'll be happy. Well, go ahead and try and see, <laughs> right? We fall, we, we continue to fall and plunge from believing that lie. I love the way that Sally Lloyd-Jones summarizes this. She says, God knew if they ate the fruit, they would think they didn't need him, and they would try to make themselves happy without him. But God knew there was no such thing as happiness without him. And life without him wouldn't be life at all. I mean, look what happens right after they, right after they believe this lie. What do they do? They run and they hide, and they're ashamed, and they're afraid. How's life like? How's your new life being God-like? <laughs> now we're afraid, we're unhappy, we're anxious, we're apprehensive, we're afraid, we're fearful, we're running away from God because they believe the lie, and we still do that. If you just look at the rest of Genesis 1 to 11, look what happens. Cain and Abel, they stand before the tree. How is Cain going to handle his envy? Remember, he's jealous. He's envious of his brother Abel because Abel's offering, God accepts it. Cain's offering is rejected. He's angry, he's envious, and he's jealous. And there's rage building in him. And God says, Cain, handle this with wisdom. Let me help you. But he did, what did he do? He chose folly. He said, I'm going I'm to choose meaning and joy on my terms. What would make me happy is for my brother to go away. And he, he slaughters his brother. It's amazing. Yeah, I mean, it plays out. You see a man named Lamech. His name's Lamech. And I think Genesis 4 or 5. And he's the first person that practiced polygamy. He's got all these wives, like playthings. And he boasts. He said, if God, if, if God promised vengeance on whoever, you know, uh, did vigilante justice on Cain, then he's really going to avenge me if anybody messes with me. And then you see the tower. You see Noah. What happens with Noah? He's right back in the garden pretty much, right? He's naked and ashamed. You remember that? God destroys the world with a flood. And then Noah plants a vineyard, harvests the, the wine, drinks it, gets drunk, and does something really perverted in his tent. He's naked and ashamed, right back where Adam was, right? And then you look at chapter 11. How do they believe the lie? Here's the lie. Life without God is not only desirable, it's supreme, it's better. It's better, man. You don't need God. And that's what they did. Tower of Babel. Autonomy. Independence. Thank you, but no thank you, God. I've got this. I'm crushing this. I don't need you. I don't need your wisdom. I don't need your boundaries. I don't need your input. I'm going to choose meaning apart from God. And this is the lie. You're either going to uh, discover meaning that's already there, which is in Christ, or you're going to create your own meaning. And that's what people are doing every single day. You see it. We're tempted to. We're not immune from that temptation. That's what they did. Tower of Babel and finally God scattered. That's where our languages come from. We still suffer the effects of the fall every time you visit another nation and you need a translator. That's because of sin. That's a problem, right? Well, I could go on and on with this, but I want to keep it short. 
So what ends up happening when they blink a lie? They feel empty, they feel guilty. They run, they hide, they're naked, they're ashamed, they're afraid. And then God comes. By the way, just a side note. Do you know what Adam should have done? Here's the most staggering thing that's interesting to me. When you read Genesis 3, where in the heck is Adam? <laughs> right? He's like the ruler. God made him the, the, the ruler, the king. And it says, she ate the fruit and she gave some to her husband. And then you read these four words. Who was with her? Adam was right there beside his wife and he didn't say squat. The si There's a book written called The Silence of Adam. It's the, most, it's, it's the most deafening sound that's not even there. Where in the heck was Adam at? You know what he should have done? Here's what Adam should have done. He should have grabbed that snake by the throat, threw him on the ground, and kicked him until his heel started to bleed. That's what he should have done, but he didn't. He didn't say a word. In fact, Adam is the last one to speak. The serpent speaks, God speaks, Eve speaks, and then finally Adam's a bleep, a bleep, a bleep, you know? She, she, she made me do it. The woman you gave me, she made me do it. But you know what? This is not the end of the story. Thank God. There's, there's a good ending. There's a happy ending to this, right? Because they believe the lie, right? But God, before he kicks them out of the garden into the wilderness and says, life's going to be really hard for you now. You chose this path, and life's going to be very hard for you, but this is not the end. And by the way, it's interesting to me, when God describes the curse, do you know the two things that are the most difficult and challenging for human beings? Work and relationships. Anybody disagree? And read Genesis 3. Read what the curse affects. By the sweat of your brow, <laughs> when you go clock in, Adam, guess what, buddy? It's a dog-eat-dog -dog world. And... Have fun with the relationships and with your family and with your children, and that's hard. It's part of the curse. But God, before he sent them out of the garden, God whispered a promise to them that's so much sweeter and powerful than the lie they believed. God said, things will not always be this way. I'm going to do, Adam, what you should have done. I'm going to crush this serpent. I'm going to crush his head, and I'm going to be wounded mortally because of it. He's going he's to get my heel, but I'm going to crush his head. And I'm going to clothe Adam and Eve, and he did. He made, he made garments of, of clothing for them from an animal. So we see that sin requires death and blood and atonement and covering. That's right, that's, the gospel is buried right there in Genesis 3.15. He says, things will not always be that way. I'm going to come, and I'm going to rescue you. You're going to go out into the wilderness because you failed, you failed the test. You were overcome with temptation, and you believed the lie. And you were naked and you're ashamed and you ran. And you're, you're kicked out of the presence of God. And you remember there's angels stationed at the entrance of Eden with these crazy flaming swords. And if you try to get back into God's presence, you're going to be slaughtered, right? So God whispered a promise that was more powerful than the lie that Adam and Eve believed. And he said, I'm going to get you back in God's presence. I'm going to crush the serpent, Adam. I'm going to do what you should have done, but you wouldn't do. But it's going to cost me big time. And it did. You know, Jesus traded places with them. He was naked. You know, the most shameful thing you read about in ancient Roman history was the way they crucified people. We get the edited version. You see Jesus in the movies and in stories. He's got this loincloth on, right? That's not how they crucified people. See, the idea was to humiliate them. They would be naked and bloody 
and it was up in the air for everyone to see. And I'm sure people went to crucifixions because they love blood. That's part of the fall. We love violence, like gladiators. We love it. So Jesus was naked and ashamed for them. And guess what? The temptation in the garden that Adam and Eve failed, and think about this, guys. If you could choose the perfect, you're like, you know, man, I don't really do good with temptation just because, you know, I get pressure. Okay, well, how about this? What if we put you in a perfect environment? You relate perfectly to God. You relate perfectly to other people. There's no conflict. You've got, you're not hungry. You've got everything you need. It's a paradise. It'd be like, you know, uh, one of the Hawaiian islands, and you've got a, somebody fanning you and popping grapes in your mouth, and you face temptation. Would that be all like, oh, I could crush that? Well, no, you couldn't. Adam represented all of us, right? But check this out. Do you know what Jesus did? Do you remember when Jesus was tempted by the devil? Was, it, was he tempted in a garden? No. Jesus sent Adam and Eve out into the wilderness, right? He banished them. Do you know when God came in the form of Jesus Christ? Do you know where he went to face temptation by the devil? Where was it? In the wilderness where the wild beasts were, it says which I think is an indication. There will be snakes out there. He's going to be in the wilderness. There's going to be wild animals. He could eat anything he wanted out there, right? Wrong. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And Adam had Eve, and he had the animals. And who did Jesus have? Nobody. He was by himself. He was hungry. He was in the wilderness with the wild animals. And Satan tempted him three times. You remember that? And every single time, Jesus resisted the temptation and finally said, Be gone, Satan. Get away from me. So Jesus succeeded. Jesus passed the test. He did what Adam couldn't do and what Adam wouldn't do. And then Jesus ultimately, remember, he was crucified. You know what he did? He essentially, to get us back in the garden, he had to be slaughtered by a flaming sword of justice. And that's what Jesus did. When he hung on that cross, naked, bloody, out in the open for everyone to see, he was executed. That was, that was satisfying God's justice for what we've all done. All of us, the Bible says, have sinned, and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've missed the target. We've ran away from God. That's what humans do best. We run away and we hide. And for God to come and rescue us, he had to die in our place. And Jesus continually does what he did in that garden. He comes to us and says, Adam, where are you? He's saying that to you today, right now. Where are you? Why are you running? Why are you running from me? There's nothing to be afraid of. I'm not coming to hurt you. I'm coming to heal you. I'm not coming to destroy you. I'm coming to deliver you. God continues to offer that to us every single day. And you know what? We continue to stand in front of this tree of wisdom and knowledge of good and evil every single day. What path are you choosing? Don't believe the lie that life is better without God. It's not. It's not better. It's hopeless and sad and dark, and dangerous, and violent, and that's just the beginning of it. (laughs) When you die apart from God, that's when the real nightmare begins, but it doesn't have to be that way. Jesus gave us a promise, and by the way, I'm I'm closing now. Told you it'd be shorter. It is a little bit. (laughs) You know some of the most powerful scriptures to memorize, and I'm learning this still as a Christian. They're the promises. Man, fill your mind with the promises of God. Psalm 56, I think verse 9. You know what it says? This I know that God is for me. Put that one in your tank. 
So that you, that, that's the power to resist the lie. God doesn't love you. Oh, yes, he does. God's for me. How do you know that? God so loved the world that he, what? He gave. He sacrificed. He made his radical, generous sacrifice that he didn't have to make for you and me. Don't believe the lie. Combat the lies with the promises of God. All the promises of God are yes and amen because of Jesus, right? And Jesus says, come to, here's a promise. Anyone who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. It doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, how disgusting your past is, how long your rap sheet is. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I was telling somebody the other day, you know why, Paul, why the Apostle Paul, I believe, was chosen by God, saved by God, and made into an apostle? Because he killed Christians. Anybody in Don't raise your hand. <laughs> Anybody in here killed a Christian lately or drug them out of their home? And watched while they were executed? Probably not. If you did, come talk to me. There's forgiveness. I think God saved the worst people in the Bible to give us hope. There's Manasseh in the Old Testament who burned children at the fires of Moloch. And there's the Apostle Paul. No sin is too great. God's mercy is deeper and better. And Jesus is waiting. He really is. Here's the last thing I'll say. However you, ex however, how, man, <clears throat> come on, say it right. It doesn't matter how eager you are to be blessed by God. He is more eager to bless you. He's more eager, more willing, more thrilled. The Bible says that there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 who need no repentance. I wonder if there's somebody here today, you need repentance. You need to turn from the empty, hollow, guilty life you're pursuing because you've believed the lie, you need to turn and you need to trust the one who whispered the promise to you and made good on it. I wonder if there's one sinner here today that has never believed the promise of Christ. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest for your souls, for I am humble. You know, Jesus, the one adjective he used to describe himself was humble. Don't you love that? Man, we need a humble Savior. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love, your grace. Thank you for the promise that's so much sweeter and more powerful than the lie that Satan started and continues. He's the father of lies. Every lie has its source in some fashion in Satan. He's the father. He's the first. And your, your promises are better and more powerful and sweeter. Help us to believe them today. And bless the food we're about to cook and, and eat and the fellowship we're going to share around the table. Thank you for the beautiful weather and the families that came. And I ask and pray, if there's anyone here, Lord, may they pray, even now, sitting in their seat, God, forgive me, I'm a sinner, I'm empty, my life is directionless, and I've wandered far from you, I feel lost, and hopeless, and sad, and afraid. Lord, show them your glory, show them how much forgiveness, and mercy, and compassion you have, that you died for sinners like them. May they believe the gospel, believe the good news, that you died for their sins, to cover it cover all of their sins and cleanse them, Lord, and adopt them and justify them and call them into your family. And I, and I ask and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.